This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Dager, and back with us again is Matt Harrison. Two weeks in a row now. Your consecutive episode streak is on the rise. Uh, I don't know, will it best your previous streak of 20 episodes in a row? You know what? That hurts. Hurts deeply. Actually, I think that every once in a while, we just got to shake things up, man. Just got to let it happen. You know, shake, shake, shake it off. Oh, Taylor Swift early on in the show. That's impressive. Yeah. I like it. Well, Matt, I do have some exciting news. Very exciting news, I think. We got our first comment on edtechweeklyshow.com. Although I should clarify that it wasn't our first comment because we did get about a dozen or so other comments, but they were essentially just uh, clickbait links, spam. I don't know. I, I thought that the link that uh, to the Maytag washer and dryer series, very, very important. Well, the Maytag men may have been listening to the show, but we can't say for sure, but it felt a lot like spam. So we actually have our first official. I even did a Google search to make sure. Um We have to give a shout out to Crystal. She wanted to let us know that we do at least have one listener, she said. She said she loves the show, which, I mean, we may need to check her mental health, but she says she loves it. And we don't want to disrespect Crystal, but we do know that Meredith is also a listener, so we do have at least two listeners now, Matt. So we can use the S at the end of listener. We have listeners, Matt. I mean, will anything stop the juggernaut that is EdTech Weekly? Internet being down on Wednesdays. Well, that was a downer. Well, we have internet today, Matt, so it's not stopping us yet. And this is episode 23. Pretty exciting stuff. When we started this, I'm not sure either of us thought it was going to make it to episode two. But we are here now, and we are steamrolling ahead. So I guess, Matt, for our listeners, Crystal and Meredith, maybe there's more, but we know for sure we have two. Let's get to the EdTech News of the Week. Our first story, according to their own website, Penn State University aims to become a think tank for EdTech leaders. They hosted a summit last week to talk about solutions to some of the problems facing today's education and students. CEOs and representatives from over 50 EdTech companies came together at the inaugural event, which was called the Penn State EdTech Network Summit. One of the main things they're addressing is a lack of collaboration that is pretty apparent uh, between EdTech companies and the education world. And that's been something talked about recently in the news as well. Some of the topics they're tackling were fostering academic excellence, creating the next-gen digital learning environment, and scaling for the future. Matt, this Penn State EdTech Network, they need to change that. That's difficult to say. It has its own website, and we'll definitely put the link in our show notes, but it's simply edtechnetwork.psu.edu. You can fill out a form there if you want to be in touch with them and sort of be a part of that network. I feel like, Matt, this is a pretty good first step to start fostering that relationship that is needed between these ed tech companies and educational uh, ed, uh, institutions. Any thoughts on this story, Matt? Um, yeah, quite a bit. I think it's uh, great to start bringing all of these different entities together. Um, I like seeing the diverse group of companies uh, which are involved with this and also the fact that an institution is leading the way, unlike just having companies lead the way and you know grabbing a couple schools to work with. Um, however, whenever I, I read or have someone, uh, talk about creating the next blank, um, I get really concerned because I feel like we're losing a big part of the idea that we need to create the backend infrastructure for that. And Penn State, obviously a, a great school and a great education juggernaut, uh, they may not overlook something like that, 
but I would really love to hear more and more articles and people talking about building the back end um, instead of just what the end user and the user experience is going to be because there's no backbone for a lot of this stuff and it really bums me out. Um, we we could all I just please I, they just need to do their due diligence and start coming out with a back end with all of this and have a philosophy that exists with it because a lot of these think tanks and a lot of these projects and products that come out they they have the purpose as something that people spend money on and we're going to go into the next article and they're going to talk about the same thing we we've all seen it and it happens in business all the time and i guess it just really stinks knowing that you know there are big education educational groups out there that are spending money on things that don't have value yeah i mean i think it's it's you know it takes some sort of time for these things to work themselves out and you know there's just been this early on rush for the last 10 years really to just push money into a product and hope it's going to solve the problem and what you see, especially working in educational technology, is that a lot of the stuff just simply doesn't work well together. And it, it is getting better. There's a lot of things that are being able to be connected, like working in a Canvas LMS. Now, there's a lot of different um, web apps and things that can work together with it fairly well. There's still some a lot of improvements that need to be made. But you see sort of that infrastructure is getting better. And I think what Penn State's doing here is really creating a forum and an opportunity for those deeper things to be talked about. That may not have been, you know, the complete focus of this first one, but I really think that this is the sort of thing that needs to happen because companies, if people just keep throwing money their way, aren't really going to be too concerned about what it all means in the bigger scope of education and, and making sure that back end is set up to work for now and for the future. Um, but I think if we have these type of collaborations and these type of communications, that may be something that happens. Oh, no, and I'd love for that to happen. And when I say infrastructure, I don't mean like a quote-unquote, this is the backbone. There are just certain questions that need to start being asked when it comes to how people are deploying stuff. But we can get into it in the next story. I've got so much more notes. <laughs> All right, well, let's do that then. Our next story comes from the Atlantic Magazine's website. They report that the ed tech industry is worth more than 8 billion dollars and this is in spite of questions regarding the actual effectiveness of the product so that's a pretty substantial amount of money there that this is worth there's a lot of information in this article so i definitely suggest you give it a read if you're interested in some of the intricacies of edtech spending and, and funding i find it interesting a couple things first of all that companies are broadening their definition of online course to include basically any digital curriculum that is even used to enhance face-to-face -face courses. So they're definitely putting more under that tag now. And I was also interested to find out that the Department of Education has only recently started categorizing EdTech spending separately. Um, it was simply hidden inside of what they call general supplies and equipment. But because of the fact that they've been inundated with researchers asking for money asking questions about how are you spending EdTech money and how much money is being spent and how is it affecting education that they've really literally had to change how they're categorizing the spending. So, I mean, it does seem crazy to me that with all of these questions about EdTech and its effectiveness that it takes researchers asking them for data that would make this happen. I mean, I'm glad it's happening because I think it's something that we definitely need to look at. How much money is being wasted sort of as we were mentioning in that last story just throwing money into technology that just isn't producing any results for us. 
I, I know you said you had a lot of notes, so go ahead, hit us with well, it. Well, I'm just I'm happy to see that this internet thing is here to stay. I mean, as an early adopter within the past <laughs> two days. No, it, it, it really is. It sounds a lot like the old guard is finally losing their hold on how things are defined. And the biggest thing is how they are defined. You know, we're starting to now get to the point where certain parts of technology are being redefined and in some cases are actually being defined. And these things mean a lot and they matter a ton. Um, without them, you know, sort of having emphasis in the marketplace, you're not going to see us starting to grow from it. As far as the um, effectiveness of a product or anything like that. It's sort of like buying a bunch of Daewoo minivans and then saying, oh, cars don't work because they broke down. It, it, <laughs> Are you questioning the quality of Daewoo minivans, Yes. Matt? They never okay. made it to the United States. And if they did, you imported the wrong vehicle. Not the minivans. My friend uh, had a Daewoo vehicle. Yeah, probably the Lan- um, Lanos. It was yeah, I think it was weird. Part. I'll have, I'll have it to ask like him. A jelly it, bean. Andrew- it almost looked like the old uh, Geo Metros. It was it was Andrew. I'll have to ask him. Um, but I believe it, he somehow got it. Either it was either free or deeply, deeply discounted because he was a college student. They wanted him to have it on the campus and see other people see it so that they would be interested. And who in was it. this? Uh, Andrew. Really? Yes, wow. yes. He had one. We used to make fun of him and ask him if there was a microwave in the glove compartment. I feel but. like I need to jump on that bandwagon. Yeah, you need to. You definitely yeah. should have talk, chat with him about wow, that. Those are some bad so, choices. Once we start defining them, we can start in, we can start implanting the methodologies that, that need to come along with this with, with these programs that are being developed. I mean, it's almost like the meme that's floating around on Reddit right now, where you have a picture of or the first Jurassic Park movie, and the guy, John, whoever runs the whole thing, says, "I've spared no expense." And then they've hired an IT person who is basically, if you spent two seconds with him in the movie, you'd realize he's not a nice person. You can't you can't spare <laughs> no expense and then not have a methodology to how you're deploying things. You can't have people that barely have you know you can't have three people run a, a hundred thousand you know student you know populace. It just doesn't work like that. That's a great analogy, Matt. If we gave out an analogy of the week award, that would be it. I, I love it. It really it really makes it very simple to kind of understand the concept that education is really 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 behind when it comes to the people and the resources needed to make the money that they're spending on this technology work. You know, there just isn't enough what I would consider what I would call ed tech coaches or people that are actually helping un, you know, teachers understand how to use this technology to teach. You can know how to teach and you can know how know your subject matter very very well. You can be an expert at both of those. But if you don't know how to use technology to teach and they're asking you to use technology to teach, you're not going to teach as well with that technology and it's going to make things worse for you and for your students. So that infrastructure of are, do we have enough people in there for and not just, you know, technology IT type people who are fixing the programs and fixing the computers. I'm talking about people who are in the system of education, who know what it takes to educate teachers as well as students on how to use technology to learn and to teach. I mean, that has to be an integral part. And I think you're right. When we start breaking these things down and getting statistics and understanding that when somebody does put money into that training and into that part of 
the ed tech world, it's going to be more effective and you're going to see that. And the only way we can know that is when we start categorizing how we spend things and what we're spending things on in order to get this data and figure out, hey, this is where we should be putting our money. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we had the story several months ago about the school in L.A. that lost a bunch of iPads. I'm sorry, but that's a big blunder and a big mistake. And it's something that someone should have thought about. And maybe they did. And that person, another meme on Reddit, you know, you have three people sitting there. What should we do to deploy them? We'll just hand them out to all the students. Second person, we'll give them the teachers to give the students. And then the third person says, hey, why don't we actually deploy, you know, come up with a schedule about how we're going to deploy all of this. And then the person, the big person in the room throws them out the window. Because it's like the craziest thing is actually spending time and money and effort. If you're going with a chintzy tablet, you know, are you going with the chintzy tablet because it's the cheapest? Or are you going with it because it gives you the best return on investment? But isn't a bigger return on investment going to be deploying the training that goes into not only students but teachers? Then training Absolutely. the IT people. Then training everybody else to be able to coexist in this universe. Because every time you build something like this, you have to build a large structure around it. You don't deploy Dell computers and no one knows how to use a Windows PC. It just so happens that we all pretty much know how to use these things. But Well, when you say we all know, that's also a tough thing because we, we sort of know, but not everyone does. Okay, a lot of people Honestly, in our, just our age group that are probably you know teachers you know, many years on. Sweet. Are you saying we're in the same age group? Yes. I'm young again. Nice. Oh, I just, as if my birthday wasn't bad enough. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, but, you know, we're getting to that age where, you know, when I was in high school, a lot of us, when I was in the eighth grade and had to learn how to use a computer and had typing class, why that existed, um, I, it's crazy to me, but all of us. So you could, so you could type wingdings. Yes. Isn't that oh, what we had to learn how to do ASCII. That's what we did. Yes, exactly. But we all had Windows machines at home. We had all used them before. And we're getting to that point where the students all use these mobile devices all the time. I mean, you if I asked you to name 22 mobile devices that are available right now, you could probably get pretty far along, as could I. But most people use the iPad as the only type of tablet that could possibly be used for this. And you're going to blow their mind when there's an, a, a Kindle fire in front of them. So yeah. takes, no, there's a right. lot of education that goes around this. And sometimes with a lot of these stories and talking with you and talking with other people I know in education, that's not thought about. And it's so... It's, integra it's an integral part. It should be. And it's not. And one of the problems, I, honestly, is... That tech is changing in such a manner that even people, you know, I, I'm around people who actually know a lot about technology and even people who know a lot about technology can be can miss out on some things because they are changing so quickly and so many things are coming up. So it is really, really important that you get the system in place for training and for understanding these new ways to deploy and these new things that need to happen in order to make this education successful oh. or ed tech successful. So, I mean... You know, I feel like, Matt, that this show is really turning into what's happening with the future of uh, educational technology. And, and our next story is really no different. It, it's it brings us more interesting insights into what that possible future landscape could be for ed tech. Fortune magazine reported on their own global forum session on ed tech. So, I mean, they are doing a little bit of their own reporting here, but. They were some definitely bold, some, some bold statements were made, Matt, at this session on ed tech. USC's Alan Arkatov basically said that 500 to 1,000 colleges are going to be extinct 
or greatly changed because their business model just simply won't work anymore. I think this at this point, I want to mention that the panel, you know, we need to put it in context a little bit. Two of the three panelists were the president of Coursera, who's Daphne Kohler, and the CEO of Udemy, who is Dennis Yang. Um, those two definitely have a, a vested interest in sort of shaking up the landscape for uh, online education, for sure, as they both offer online courses. Um, I'm not going to judge here and say that, you know, they definitely sort of rigged this, but Fortune Magazine geared towards business, um, you know, not necessarily the education world. And this is meant for company, private company leaders, who, or, you know, two of those people are in this who are looking to capitalize on the disruption of, of the online educational world in the higher ed. So I'm not really sure that higher education is doomed because of this forum and what they said. But it should be noted that Udemy and Coursera are certainly disrupting and changing the way online learning is happening. I feel like we've had this type of story before where people say, you know, oh, MOOCs, you know, massive open online, you know, courses are dead and blah, blah, blah. And they haven't. But at the end of the day, Matt, all of these things are sort of gradually shaping how online learning goes. I, I guess if a college just completely blindly ignored this and continued to try to do the same thing without changing, they would find themselves extinct. But I think it's a little bit aggressive to say that. What do you think about this? Well, I think that it's absolutely true. I mean, the death of something um, must come because two things can never exist in the same space. Sort of like uh, being a company we that should, only builds checks. We, should stop, for, we yeah. should stop for a minute and think yeah. about that. It's a deep statement, Matt. Very nice. I like the pause. It was dramatic, yeah. but continue. No, it's, I mean, it's a massive, 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 massive. I wrote massive a lot in this. Um, oversimplification. Um, that the two companies are going to bring down anything. They're going to shape the landscape. If a company, just like a college, a business, any, anything that exists in a, in a world that does not have stasis um, must adapt to its environment, and a college is no different. Um, if there are colleges that still exist that absolutely do not have the Internet on campus at all, awesome. They, they're probably charging... Some nominal fee, actually, I believe I watched something recently where there was, but it, really, it was like a farmhouse and they were teaching people how to farm or something like that. Um, th there are th a billion factors why a business, a nonprofit, a, a college are going to fold. If these 500 to 1,000 colleges are going to fold and you can pinpoint that this is the exact moment in which they were doomed, kudos to you. You have a very myopic vision of the world. And Matt, in our in our featured segment now, uh, we're going to have you list all billion factors. Yes. Go ahead. Um, I'll start now. Uh, potato salad is probably somewhere on there. I don't know. Maybe somebody <laughs> who worked there got sick at a, at a mm, potato salad. Yes. Yummy. Um, I I don't view articles like this as being anything more than tongue in cheek to sort of bring excitement into this because I think companies like Coursera, Udemy, uh, Code Academy. They bring something to the table that was missing for a really long time. Um, yeah, absolutely. Coding, um, computer engineering, it exists in a very, very weird place. Um, it's a lot of these companies that do this treat it as though it's purely vocational training, um, but it exists in a lot of different arenas. I mean, children can grab this same code, understand it, and create something. College students can use it to better themselves. There was another article that was written recently talking about, oh, we had a decline in um, 
uh, kids that were going to college for computer science or information technology. And you find out that a lot of them are still taking a lot of these courses and getting different types of engineering degrees, getting different types of degrees altogether. CS50 at Harvard is one of the most popular courses ever on the planet. And they're not all computer science majors. These are kids that want to learn how to use something super duper important to their everyday lives. And it doesn't have to just be with computer science. I have a degree in English literature. I work in the back end of cPanel and work with Linux all day long. That doesn't mean that I defined what my life was going to be when I was 22 years old and was finally figured out, you know, I wanted to have an English lit degree. So, yeah, I mean, I think you I think you're bringing up a really cool point about the way that education is shifting. When I, we were growing up or when I was growing up, certainly being a little older than you, I really felt like college was the place where you decided what your life was going to be. And I think you bring up a really interesting point because as these new things are coming up, Coursera, Udemy, obviously we talked about some, you know, coding um, sites. It's giving you the opportunity to have a more fluid concept of what you want to be when you grow up, right? You don't have to be whatever your college major was. You don't have to be what you liked in high school or what you liked right after college. I mean, there's a lot of these things popping up and hopefully what it does is helps colleges and even high schools and and K-12 to some degree Start helping students focus on the fact that there's a wealth of information out there. How do you get it? What are the best ways for you to get that information? And then where do you go once you really know that you want to do that? Like there's this, you know, the way that this changes online learning to me is it's just going to give an easier way for more people to find what they want to do and to actually get that information and then move into that field. Um, If I don't have to get a full college degree, but I can learn about how to code or computer science, whether it's at Harvard or whether it's at Stanford online that you can do for free. If that gets me into a motor where I can take a, you know, focused online course that gets me a job as a programmer somewhere, like how awesome is that? That's, that's what it should be. You shouldn't be pigeonholed into what you thought you wanted to do when you were 20. Well, absolutely. And what I would say is one of the biggest things that I don't feel was chronicled in this article, um, but Udemy, Coursera, uh, a lot of these other educational um, groups, they do something that our regular education isn't doing, and that's spending more time understanding the back end. The delivery model of Udemy or Udemy and Coursera have to be spot on. Think about that. That has to be the focus. And the focus is when public education and private education at university, college, and high school level, that doesn't have to be at 100%. The delivery model doesn't have to be perfect at those, but for these private companies, they have to be. We have to find a way to reach that, of make the two work together, and that's what's going to happen. I mean, if we talk about the future of online learning and what education is going to look like, that's where you're going to see the biggest changes. You're going to see a lot of tech firms that are going to be bought out by the big boys that are then going to be implemented in these colleges. We've talked so many times about IBM working together with other groups, Google working with other groups. Google's suite of educational products, period, look just like um, Google Apps for Business. And there's a reason for that. It's because it's, it's, that's the structure that exists behind that that 
it works universally. It doesn't matter if you're a student or if you're a business owner or somebody who works for a business. We're going to start seeing a lot of these things get bought out by them. Specifically, I think tech textbook companies are also going to start doing it. And they're going to deploy new suites for current colleges. You know, schools that find themselves struggling will have to change more and more and more. And maybe they're going to take shortcuts, and that's going to end up kicking them out too. One of the things about the story that bothers me is the concept of the wild, wild west. It is the wild, wild west. We should not celebrate that. The wild, wild west was a very dangerous place for a lot of people. And if we're talking about something like this, just as you know, tackling the frontier, we can romanticize it as much as possible, there was a lot of people that died. If we treat this like the wild, wild west and just see what shakes out without trying to take a real hard look at what's happening, the people that are going to suffer the most are the students. They're the ones that are going to get tackled and they're going to get tangled up in these webs and it's going to end up strangling them and us. Matt, can I just tell you, you are on fire today, my man. You are coming up with some great stuff. I love it. I, there's two things that I want to kind of address that what you talked about. Number one is that these courses, Udemy or however you want to pronounce it, and Coursera, they are exactly what you said. They're building that because it has to be good, not because people are coming and they just have to have kids go through the course, like is what a lot of colleges do with online. Well, we have to go to online because everyone's doing online, but people are in our college, so let's just make some online courses, right? Me working in higher ed, I can tell you that, you know, thankfully the school I work for is doing a lot to sort of help the process of designing these courses and making them actually very effective. But in general, you're 100% right. It's a situation where universities have too many people asking them to be in there. They have to turn people down. So there is not that need that some of these other startups and some of these other online education, they need to make a platform that's really engaging and works very well. So that's the first thing that I thought was awesome. And then the second thing, you're talking about, oh my gosh, now I've lost what the second thing was. But anyway, love what you said, Matt. I, I think... This puts a lot, if you're in ed tech and you're an administrator in ed tech or you're a teacher in educational technology, a lot of really good things to think about. Designing what you are doing to be the best way to have your students learn um, using ed tech that you have a true understanding is going to actually help people, not just because it's the newest, coolest looking thing. These are all things that are going to help. And you're a thousand percent right. We don't want our students get caught up in this. And that's what keeps happening as education changes. And as new pressures get put on people to do different things and change to different standards, what we continue to forget is that our students are being put in really bad place because the back end, the background of all this stuff is not being thought through before it's being deployed. I mean, and I think you just summed it up perfectly in that last statement, Matt. Awesome job. I mean, again, this show, to me, is all about discussing what's going on in ed tech. And right now, this is stuff that's going on. I mean, we are at a crossroads here where we really have to have buy-in and we really have to have educational companies and educational institutions working together for our students to figure out ways that are going to help them learn the best. I mean, that's, that's the end of the, that's That's it to me. And that's that's pretty much it for the show, too. So if you want more information about the stories that we talked about on today's show, you can go to edtechweeklyshow.com. We'll have links there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Fort Tech Teachers. I a lot of times just post stories, even ones that we don't talk about on the show. Um, so feel free to follow me there at four, the number four tech teachers. 
Uh, email the show at techweekly at gmail.com. Tell us um, if you have any suggestions about the show, if you'd like us to try anything else. I think number one suggestion is have Matt be on fire like he's been the last couple of weeks. He's doing awesome. Um, call and leave us a voicemail. We'd love to play it on the show. So far, only Meredith is brave this number, 30592 tech 2 30592-TECH2. Leave a voicemail. We'll play it. Um, so far, we're 100%. We play every voicemail we get. So make us have so many that we can't play all of the voicemails. That would be awesome. And don't forget edtechweekly.reddit.com. Matt talked about Reddit a couple times today. I feel like we should have been sponsored by them. Um, it's not just all memes. There are other things there, including our spot. Our subreddit is edtechweekly. Post links there. There are resources. Um, I'm putting some comments in the resources that I post and trying to foster some discussion. We do have 15 or 16 people that are said to be users. So I don't know if that means they subscribe, Matt. Is that what that means? Uh, I think so. Yeah, you have to subscribe to be a reader. But we have four people here right now. So there we go. We got four people in there right now. They don't even know the show is going on live. So pretty awesome stuff. And again, whoa, that was scary. Matt's trying to find out who they are. But we'll find them. And again, it's growing. It's awesome. Uh, Again, thank you to Crystal for commenting on our website at techweeklyshow.com. Go there again for show notes and everything else. And uh, Matt, I don't know if we want to ask you to to close out the show because you've done such a good job today, but let's put it on the line. Let's just put it all out there. Do you have anything for the good people as we leave? Yes, you can download my newest stand-up hour. It's called What's the Deal with Education? Um, you can go to iTunes. Uh, search you might for, get sued by Jerry Seinfeld for that inflection. It's called Matt Harrison delves deep down deep into the deep, deep web to find out about education. It's going to be a winner. I can tell already. SEO is going to be off the charts. Oh, my gosh. Keywords on that's going to be fun. All right, Matt. Thanks for coming out again two weeks in a row. And we'll see you and hopefully Crystal and Meredith on the next episode of EdTech Weekly. Bye-bye. Nothing is the death of anything else. You know what's the death of something else? Is when it dies. Like when it's dead.